0: Good afternoon. It is uh, January 20th. This is Michael Vandervoort. It's uh, about a little bit, bit after 3 p.m., and, and we're doing a bonus show, or I'm doing a bonus show for Drive Thru HR today. It'll probably get uploaded uh, sometime over the weekend or next week, so you won't hear it on the 20th. But I am uh, pleased to welcome uh, Professor Lynn Vincent from Syracuse University. Hello, Professor Vincent. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, Michael. Thank you for having me on the show. Thanks for having
0: uh the time taking the time to join me and having a conversation around the topic that I love which is labor relations and I know we're going to uh we're going to chat about a few interesting things but um before we start why don't you just go ahead and kind of give your background and what you do at Syracuse and you know your your street cred I guess
1: All right So I'm an associate professor of management at the Whitman School of management at Syracuse University. Um, My general domain is organizational behavior. My research focuses actually on creativity. So if organizations ask employees to be creative, what else are you going to get? So I look at those downstream implications of creativity. But before I studied creativity, I studied labor, industrial labor relations at Cornell's ILR School, so I am an ILRI at heart. Um, <laughs> so I take my organizational behavior lens at to examine those social psychological mechanisms at for unions. I look at how humans and groups behave. Right. So,
0: and that's kind of that's kind of what we're going to talk about today probably threaded through a slightly different lens which is some of the current activities that are taking place up in New York and kind of always a hotbed for unionism but it's been a it's been a virtual uh almost a lab for the last uh, year or so up there in different ways and um I didn't realize the creativity angle um that's just a hobby for me but I love talking to people about how they create things it's like whenever anytime I have a sort of a semi-creative person on the podcast I, you know I'm like oh how do you do you know, what about this and what about that because um it, it's just it, it's just I, I I I it's so interesting so I envy you the ability to to study it that's awesome
2: uh, I,
1: I have a best job it's so much fun um and I hope wherever people are uh, whatever field they in there they find a job or a career that you're happy doing. Um, you know, it
0: isn't, I know that's a whole, that's a whole different show, right? Um, the, the you know, and creativity is such a challenge because like, like I can write, I'm a pretty good writer, right? And I'm a pretty good speaker. And wh- what do I want to do? I want to be able to draw a straight line, but I can't, right? So I, you know, and I get a lot, sometimes instead of celebrating our, um, uh, our skills, we sort of, you know, we, fault ourselves because we can't do something that, you know, I can't sing or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, so I don't know if that's that imposter syndrome imposter syndrome or whatever, but uh, yeah. So, but let's not talk about that. That's <laughs> not the topic that, so, but I, 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 rabbit hole is, is easy to go down on this show and especially when I'm on my own and I have nobody to reel me in. So um, I wanted to start with kind of, um, and I know you're not a lawyer and I, I know you're not a practicing HR, you know, person doing, you know, dealing with the implementation of the law, but I wanted to touch on the the act that the the Warehouse Workers Protection Act, which is kind of a, I don't know if a landmark piece of legislation is is too too grandiose, but it's certainly a first that I'm aware of. Uh, Much, you know, in New York, the East Coast, and then, of course, California on the West Coast are often the sort of the hybrid training ground or developing ground of these kind of... These kind of things. So whenever something like this piece of legislation passes, I always assume we're going to see something like that somewhere else at some point—Chicago or LA or whatever. So, um, can you at least you know articulate kind of what the law is is intended to do, and maybe we can talk about it from there?
1: The Warehouse Worker Protection Act is asking organizations to, if they're going to have quotas for work and work output, they have to be clear and transparent about what those quotas are. So it's the act is just trying to increase that communication between what are the expectations that are those reasonable. And then the act does provide some guidance of if those quotas are going to change, how that communication has to happen and timing, and so forth.
0: Is it, is, it, um, is it fair to say that in some ways this act is maybe aimed at Amazon? And it, and it's product It's kind of high level. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to get you to badmouth anybody, but um, I know there was a big reaction to Amazon when they were going to build their new headquarters. I mean, and, and kind of. I mean, it, so like, is it is that a factor here? I don't. I don't. I honestly don't know. I'm because I, I don't live up there, and I didn't kind of follow the the news cycle on this until it passed.
1: To my knowledge, Amazon was not specifically named, mm-hmm. but I would imagine that it was part of the conversation that because the the warehouse workers and those the distribution centers such a big part of the conversation in the labor relations realm in New York. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that it's part of that. Because there are new distribution centers opening, there are unionization attempts ongoing. So I yeah,
0: agree. I mean the 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 uh, the first ever union uh, to successfully organize an Amazon facility with, I mean, a no contract or anything yet, okay. right? But Staten Island, so that's another thing. I know it's crazy, yeah. and the and that is um, a kind of we'll, we'll we'll kind of pivot back to that in a minute, right? But a, the Amazon Labor Union a guy named Chris Smalls, who's become a uh, an organizing celebrity. I mean, he, you know, I think he has his own fashion line and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely been a, a very cool story to watch, but uh, it's just, it, it's so unprecedented in, in our, you know, in the last 20 years or so. Um, So, so the, so the law, um, the law has gone into effect, correct? I mean, it's, it's passed now. Has there been, um, have there been legal challenges or anything that you're aware of? I haven't really
1: not that I've seen, and I, I've looked, mm-hmm. um, but so I haven't seen them. Uh, maybe they are happening, but haven't been made public. Yeah,
0: I, I, I haven't seen any either. But again, like I said, it's, it's a, it's a local, it's a local piece of legislation. And so mm-hmm. I haven't, I haven't really, you know, honed in on it as a, a with a deep dive at this point. So, um, so w- with that, with that piece of legislation, um, you know, it, it's part of a, I guess the, in the last two years, um, or more, but certainly in the last two years, starting in 2021, um, and like I said, New York has really been a focal point for a lot of this stuff. So in 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 the area there, you have that that this piece of legislation passing. We mentioned a, a, uh, Amazon Labor Union, an independent uh, union that organized a 5,500 or so employee warehouse in Staten Island had a had another an, another election at a second warehouse yep. a smaller warehouse in staten island and that was but were unsuccessful and are now running campaigns um in other in several other states um so the so the the a l u from Staten Island is, is spreading and, and becoming uh, seeking to become representative, you know, uh, uh across, across the country. I mean, they're not, they're not spreading like, you know, like a virus, but they're, they have several different, uh, campaigns working all across the country. So that's another thing that developed in New York. And then, then of course, the, one of the most prominent, um, campaigns in recent history, like I'm talking like decades of history in labor, is the Starbucks Workers' Union, which is is a little different than the Amazon Labor Union in that they couch themselves as an independent union, but they're actually affiliated with Service Employees International mm-hmm. Union and Workers' United. So there's really a big union behind what is kind of cl- Classifying itself as an independent union for Starbucks baristas, right? They have been amazingly successful at organizing and getting elections and winning campaigns. And we've talked about this, uh, John Hyman and I, who I, we've mentioned in the pre-show, John Hyman and I have talked about this several times, but it's like I forget I used to have the numbers at my fingertips I don't it's cooled down uh, a bit since I'd say the fall when they were still really at their peak but there are well over 300 350 stores that were um, that have tried to unionize out of about 9,000 or so that Starbucks owns Um, and more than 250 have um, been successfully unionized Um, so there's and that's unprecedented in like like i said decades right and that started in buffalo new york because starbucks had some problems with paying attention to their employees basic concerns about safety and health and stuff mm-hmm. and they lost control of it and it literally became a nationwide movement um and it's not it it, it and untold probably millions of dollars on starbucks part and many 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 more uh months and even probably years before they resolve anything they don't have a single contract though so that's uh and and that's going to be the challenge for the unions because some of these things are coming on for a year so what is it well first of all i I mean sorry i'm going to stop talking in a second let you talk i know new york is a traditional hotbed for union organizing so that's not a surprise i mean new york city especially but the whole state really has has a deep uh, history and you mentioned Cornell, which is uh, you know, they, they certainly are steeped in both sides of management and the labor union side. I went to Michigan State, so they're a little bit, but uh, not quite as much as Cornell is on the union side. Um and and so what is it about New York that it's that's made it like a breeding ground for for these these things? And what is it about um so that's one question. And and then the second question that if, that we that we'll pivot to is what what is it about the, the the this new generation that is has is different? Because there's a lot, it seems to me. But I'd love to hear what you think. So, what what is it about New York right now that's creating these situations? Do you think?
1: One major thing in New York is that the government and the laws in place are more pro union mm-hmm. than other other locations. Uh, so that's something that gives those unionization attempts a little better starting ground. Mm -hmm. It's so, any unionization attempt or certification vote is challenging and the laws surrounding it are so complex. It's hard to get in, even if there's interest. So New York's uh, legal situation is better at that but i also think part of it it when that pivots to the second point you wanted to discuss is that the cities are uh, not just a little more democratic but they are have a stronger population of younger like generation z uh, people so and gen z is different uh, mm-hmm. While generations are very broad and filled with many, many people with lots of different interests, there are general statements that we see in trends. So um, one thing about Gen Z is that they are more interested in autonomy and having a voice than previous generations i'm not saying other previous generations didn't want that mm-hmm. but gen z is more vocal about it okay so and if you take that idea that they have that they have that desire for autonomy that desire to craft their own experience now we apply that to the unionization attempts. So why do people try to unionize? Yes, economic interests, of course. Uh But beyond that, research suggests that it's identity purposes and it is procedural justice concerns. So if Gen Z is interested in autonomy, that focus on identity and procedural justice makes sense. Because procedural justice is all about having a voice in the process and how decisions are made, what direction the organization is going in. What do they value? What is their strategy going to be? Mm -hmm. They want to be part of that conversation. So if they're going to be able to lift their voices up, they're like, well, let's get a group together. Let's, let's form a union.
2: Yeah.
0: And I mean, in, in a, in a number of cases, that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. Um, And Starbucks, I think, well, well, again, I want to rehash a lot of other stuff I've talked about already, but I guess in Buffalo, there were some, there were some health and safety issues raised things like, you know, bad situations in the, in the kitchen or whatever you call the service area where the baristas work. It's probably not really a kitchen, but whatever. Um, they had like, um, beehives or wasps or something. And, um, I have heard, um, with, you know, anecdotally, I have heard that Starbucks was making great profit. Starbucks was making, you know, being very successful, um, they were running a, a call center model for their human resources function for, for folks with these kind of issues. And so baristas were calling in from Buffalo and reporting these health and safety concerns. And apparently, Starbucks failed to get back to them. They, they were allegedly actually trying to fix the problems, but they weren't communicating because of the structure that they were using. It was very uh, impersonal and it was very uh slow and inefficient it was also during the pandemic where finding finding help to go out and you know fix a pipe wasn't necessarily the easiest thing because a lot of people were staying home and not engaging right so so they they ran into a a, a a buzzsaw kind of thing where they they just were doing their normal operations and they didn't realize it and then this generational um this, uh, this group said, you know, this is, you know, this is BS. I I won't swear, but, you know, this is BS, you know, and we're going to, you know, they're not listening to us. They don't care about us. And we're going to, we're going to take, we're going to take things into our own hands. And so when they did, um, again, anecdotally, I've heard Starbucks kind of said, oh, well, this is just, you know, a couple of stores. We'll, we'll do the corporate onslaught. And they (laughs) sent everybody in the kitchen sink to Buffalo and it didn't work. Cause the, the, the the Gen Z baristas didn't believe them and, and it, and it, and then it, you know, it escaped New York and it's gone nationwide virally for, for a year, like we talked about. Um, but it, it wasn't, it's not all driven by like wages to your point. It's, it's, they want a voice. They want to say, they want, they want to be able to say, um, you know, we have the ability to tell Starbucks. You know, you, you need to you, you need to do these things because it's the right thing to do almost. Mm-hmm. And so, does that is that is that affiliate? I'm trying to trying to get a question out, and I can't figure out how to say it. it there's a I think there's a tendency in Gen Z you know and i i know we're generalizing with a whole generation because there are a lot of different individuals and a lot of different nobody's you know no individuals this a, a clone but i think there's a general trend where they they have a greater desire for affiliation um not necessarily in the workplace but i think just in general than perhaps some past generations um is it is that something that you've seen or observed or is is that am i off base on that
1: i don't think you're off base uh, they tend to be very Uh, connection based Uh, I mean this is the the generation of employees that had the internet and smartphones and so they were able to make connections quickly and carry those connections with them so I think having that need for affiliation is part of who they are and they're very good at that
2: yeah, so but so
1: as a I'm group, sorry. you also have to think that they're sort of overworked, underpaid, and uh, overeducated as set in employees. And I don't mean education is bad, <laughs> I can't say that <laughs> as a college professor. I, I'm a professor, and <laughs> education is no, not. Education, yeah, yeah, yeah. To you <laughs> oh, please get education, yeah. um, however yeah. you choose. There's lots of ways yeah. to do it. Um, um,
0: John and I just talked briefly on our last show about Jazz Brissac, who was the one of the key organizers for for Starbucks, and she's actually a Rhodes, a Rhodes scholar. scholar. So so our our brilliant HR analysis about avoiding unionization on that show was don't hire Rhodes scholars to be baristas it's probably you're probably you're probably I mean
1: you're asking for trouble
0: you're asking for trouble <laughs> yeah uh clearly there was some other motive motive there so no but I mean yeah. so that, that that might be overkill on the education piece but you, but I I but seriously I do think you're right the other thing is um Starbucks has um has has you know they provide like a um it's a puzzling thing with Starbucks because they're, they're, they're an employer that has for a long time enjoyed a really good reputation as an employer. They've, you know, they provided benefits for part-time people. Mm-hmm. They have uh, enhanced benefits for transgender people. They, they, you know, there, I mean, there's, there's lots going on. They let people express themselves in ways lots of brands don't um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and so they've, you know, they sort of welcomed these folks in with open arms and then it kind of, it kind of backfired on them because it feels like they lost their, their regard for that, those values or something. I'm, I, I don't really, I'm not really trying to bash Starbucks. They forced the pe the very people that they tried to embrace to, you know, kind of stand up against them. And it, it really backfired on them. And does, does your research look at, I know that's not the creativity part, but in the organizational Mm -hmm. behavior side, like, you know, the, I mean, there's, um, there's this whole thing about social justice with Gen Z there's this whole thing about you know gender not gender fluid fluidity but you know there's a, a, a there's a just a different kind of um attitude about a lot of different things that mm-hmm. that like my generation doesn't necessarily reflect the same values you know as they do and and so there, it but again it's back to like if you're going to tell us we can we can be this way in the, in the in the workplace we want we want it give it to us and and mm-hmm. there's a certain point where the company says No, Starbucks or any other company, you know, I'll try to pull back from Starbucks. I beat them up enough for this show, probably. Um, But is there a, is is there, um, like, like, (laughs) hmm. I don't know if you I don't know if this is a fair question because I don't know if you if this fits into what you you research or, or look at. Is this is where where is this going do you think? Like from a, you know, is, it, this is not going to go away for sure because mm-hmm. these folks are going to just move more and more into the workplace. Now they're going to they're going to get older and you know, they're going to have kids and they're going to you know, their their perspective on some things may change because that happens we all evolve in that way. Um, but it it's still going to there's still going to be They're going to be future managers potentially. And, and so where, where is,
2: you know, is, is, do you have any view of a long game on this, or is that not something that you really look at?
1: When I think about Gen Z, and when I think about what a lot of the union organizers are focused on, it is these like values of, you know, respect, having a voice, uh, having, um, a better identity. So one thing that I would imagine is that organizations are have to be held accountable to these, these values that they have in their, their culture. Mm-hmm. So that was, you were talking like Starbucks started with these really amazing values and they had programs focused on it. And uh, you were suggesting maybe they, lost that way and then they had employees saying hey I joined your company because you had these values and there are things that I value so we had that in common we had that common identity and now I want you to be held accountable to the identity that you put out there that you have can that you and I have been connected to together so if you're not living up to that, it means that my identity has been tarnished as well.
0: Yeah, it's almost as if, the, I mean, I know that it's not a, you know, an employment contract, but it's almost as if it's a social contract that they yeah. made, right? They, they you know, they held out that this this is who we are. Um, and we we respect you and we value you for who you are. And then... In some, like again, they, to say they lost it is is that's really easy for me to do because I don't live there, work there, or have anything to do with them outside of just a you know a, a, a curious observer. But it does seem as if that was a problem. Wh- what about the what about things like um you know wanting to negotiate. Things that aren't really traditionally collective bargaining, right? There's mandatory subjects to bargaining, and there's non-mandatory mm-hmm. subjects of bargaining, and like social justice, you know, issues have have come up in this. And that that's you know, and and there are a number of other uh, similar campaigns, you know, not, not not in not that haven't been as viral as Starbucks, but there are a number of other companies, many of them who are progressive values, right? And Chipotle and some others, where this has kind of come back to these these their their use of conscious capitalism or, or social progressive social cause has kind of come back to bite them through, through the, through the, 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 these union campaigns and the employee, the, the, the employees who are forming the unions believe they can achieve some changes at the, at the bargaining table, Mm -hmm. but, and maybe they can, but some of this stuff, the company can just say, yeah, I mean, we don't have to talk about that right? I mean, the law, the way the laws right. are structured, they, they can just say, we're not going to talk about, it, you know, and it's going to drive, it's going to drive some people crazy. Cause I think there's a, probably a, a bit of a lack of sophistication about how some of the processes, you know, the the more laborious traditional processes of collective bargaining work, right? I don't mean to say they're naive. I just, you know, if you've never done it, it it's, 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 it's very esoteric. Yeah. And, and, and it's very precise in what, you know, the companies can and can be required to do and not be required to do. So there, the, I, I, you know, the next year, you know, the, the 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 wins and the you know, sort of like we've got our union and we've got the power. This next year is going to be a long slog for for these folks in in a lot of these things. And I, and I wouldn't be shocked if some of them. Um, we start seeing some deserts and some other things because they get disenchanted with the process or some of the people who led the, the campaigns leave and move on to other jobs or whatever, because that's the nature of the work. So there may be this is this it's hard to tell where this is going to end up. Right. Yeah. But it's it's fascinating. But but I I one I, I I'm thinking off the top of my head here out loud. I'm wondering what lessons that this generation is going to take from. This moment in time, which has been like a giant sunburst, right? It's really been—I mean, it's really been remarkable. I've never seen anything like it in my whole labor relations career, and it's not over. But i, I don't know if it's going to end up like they expect, or—or if—or if the companies are going to get surprised. And I—I know you can't prognosticate the future any better than I can. But what do you—what do you see?
1: I've been going back and forth on this, especially because the nature of, of a lot of the unions that have been successful. Because many of them have been this ground up grassroots movement. While they may have support mm-hmm. um, or of the traditional union base, a lot of them are just like doing this, you know, scrappy independent style. So, and what I'm going back and forth on mm-hmm. is what will happen because that grassroots ground up nature gives them some advantages. It means they're agile. It means they can change and adapt and they can build that structure as best fits them and their their members. So that's that benefit of any new venture. You know, this is not just a union base. This is Mm
2: -hmm.
1: also in organizations uh, like businesses. But they don't have that legacy of, knowledge and understanding and support structure so what the ALU now has to do is build a complex organization that's nested within an incredibly complex external environment right that they have to go through that quagmire of laws and figure out what is allowed and what is not allowed to kind of Work with a possibly antagonistic organization, um, but I'm.
0: Uh. What, one thing that I, I'm sorry, <clears throat> excuse me. One thing I think is almost a certainty is that there will be additional iterations. You know, like like there is a there is a generational cadre, if you will. It's not like an it's not all of Gen Z. But within within this group, these groups, there are leaders and there are organizers and there are folks being trained how, to how to how to go out and make change in organizations, right? It, and it's mm-hmm. not just in the workplace; it's going to be it's socially. It's I mean, and and of course that 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 happens all the time, but but this the, like the Starbucks folks, there's a lot more grassroots people there in that company now and they'll go to other employers in some cases. Right. So there's, you know, there's it. So this isn't far from over. And I, I, I I'm old enough to remember going back to Zuccotti park and the occupy movement, right. Where the occupy people kind of the hippies and, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. they, they, they protested for a while. And then that fell apart and the same thing sort of on the other side with the tea party, which, you know, kind of, but, you know, Mm -hmm. it's morphed into what we have today, which is, you know, horrible disaster, but, um, there, there's a whole lot of stuff that that will come out of this I guess downstream and it's hard to predict what the outcomes will be but this is far from over even if even if Starbucks never agrees to a union contract at any of these at any of these stores um what are, what are, you I'm sorry you you used the term identity and and you and you said something else just
1: uh, procedural just, justice
0: procedural justice talk to me about that for uh, what what that means to you
1: so the justice literature talks about a lot of different types of justice. I mean, there's this distributive justice that's based on the allocation of resources, like how do you distribute that res- those resources? And that's what a lot of traditional union negotiations look like, where they focus on those like economic outcomes. You know, what are am I going to get? What are you going to get? Uh, procedural justice is more focused on the process like how did I have a say in how these decisions were made? well mm-hmm. I think the process that those decisions were made was fair um and that is a primary part of why people beca- engage in union union certification programs and why they vote to unionize mm-hmm. so that's a big part of what we're seeing today and I think it goes back to like the Occupy movement that you mentioned that like those were facilitating undercurrents that led Mm -hmm. us to this day Mm -hmm. like it wasn't just boom uh, unionization attempts this follows things that we've seen in history where there's this undercurrent of people questioning like why is the world like this? And can it be better? Um, and then there was this major external shock with the pandemic. The pandemic laid so much bare. And we were faced with this questions of like, how I'm scared for my life. Right? How <laughs> so much of my life is at my job? You know, how can... I make my job better, you know, and it's, we identify with our jobs and our identities are so important to us. So asking, is there a better way to work and live? It's, it seems inevitable given all these factors that led up to this moment. Um, but a big part of that's procedural justice. These people mm-hmm. want a voice in what happens to them and what their organization does. And it's not just economic outcomes anymore. Yes, they do want better pay. Yes, they do want better benefits. But they're also talking about like DEI and general respect and job growth opportunities, which, yes, it traces back to economic outcomes. But also it's like, I want to be a better person. Mm -hmm. We have uh, Disney workers walking out in frustration to the company's initial reaction to Florida's like, don't say gay. Right. So this is not just workers saying we are not paid enough. Like this process is unfair and how you're representing us is unfair. And we want to voice in that.
2: Yeah. And, and, and
0: for sure. And right now that, you know, so many people that returned to office kind of thing, you know people are still resisting that as much as they can although the C- ceos are definitely uh definitely preparing to lower the boom and as google laid off 12,000 people today and every, every every time one of those things comes out the the power of the uh the power of the worker probably gets diminished a little bit right mm-hmm. because the because the balance will shift back back to the employer um i we're very close to to the time that i had allotted um this has been great discussion for me i don't know i don't know how i don't know how exciting it'll be for folks that listen in but um this has been a, a really great discussion no I, I actually i think it will be a good discussion i always go like we just talked about nerdy stuff for 30 minutes which is awesome but you know not everybody has the same uh, i think interest and passion what um i'm curious uh, i want to go i want to go to cornell for a minute so um when were when were you there first of all uh, like
1: <clears throat> well <laughs>
0: Is that like asking your age?
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was
0: at Michigan State in 1985.
1: So so I was there from 2002 to 2006 for my undergrad Mm -hmm. and then 2007 to
0: 2013 for master's and PhD. Nice. So. I've never, I've actually never had a chance to visit Cornell. I know I've met many people from, you know, from the program there, the the ILR school, right? (laughs) Um, So... My my school was at Michigan state, the school of what what was then known as a school of labor and industrial relations. And it's, I I don't know if they still call it that, or if they call it something else with human resources in it now, but, um, I have a master's in labor and industrial relations. So I, my, my degree is archaic, but that's what I have. Um, our school was even in the eighties was largely business oriented, despite being based in Lansing, Michigan, which at the time was still a really robust UAW represented Mm -hmm. union town, you know, um, I Cornell has a has more of a it's not the focus is not unions but I think Cornell embraces unions more than Michigan State did would you would you agree with like is it a big part of the of the of the uh, curriculum or, or are they active in the school there is it is it is it I mean our presence was minimal I guess from a from a perspective of a grad student experience what about yours that's what I'm trying to ask
1: from my perspective you and I was in the ILR school not the Johnson school uh, the unions was part of our conversation okay we were required to take uh, three or four labor history classes we mm-hmm. took labor economics we uh took labor law collective bargaining so we took arbitration <laughs> mediation conflict negotiation you know we it was wonderful. Um, it was. I always felt like there was a strong like employee focus.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: maybe mm-hmm. I'm naive, uh, but no, no, no. that I, was my that experience.
0: Make, that makes sense. Um, and 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 to, as of yesterday, BLS came out with data. 10.1 um, percent of the U.S. population is now in in a union. Even though union membership grew last year, union density dropped again so less than 1 in 10 well not less than but 1 in 10 people are in a union now so all those skills are becoming more and more uh, not archaic but they're they're less in demand right but
1: it, i mean i think understanding how people engage with each other and the you know the the union environment will be applicable to organizations even if they don't have a union yeah Um,
0: yeah the 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 the, the, still the the threat of a union makes companies sit up straight and act right a lot that's that's still true so
1: anyway i I wish it wasn't so antagonistic i I, I, I wish it i wish people didn't see unions as a threat a lot of people who are in unions don't dislike their managers or organizations
0: Two of the professors that I had when I was at Michigan State um worked on Bob Wagner's staff, and at least one of them wrote much of the Wagner Act. So, <laughs> so it was like when you when you when you sit there as a as a labor relations person and listen to somebody who literally drafted the the NLRA, right? Uh, or at least portions of it. Um, and he talked about his name was Jack Steiber, Doctor Jack Stieber, and he talked about like how unprecedented and dramatic it was to use conflict in this way. To you know, because there were thousands of strikes back then, right in the thirties, and the economy was in danger. You know, so the, the 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 inherent conflict and the antagonism is built into the system based on where they were in the nineteen thirties. Maybe we need to do a rewrite at some point here, but that that will be very, very difficult in the current environment and maybe forever.
1: So maybe a rewrite of like the major laws. Yeah, yes. but I do have hope because a lot of like, uh, the business schools that teach negotiation are, have shifted how they teach negotiation. So they're focused more on this interest based negotiation mm-hmm. that is more integrated and based on mutual respect and like this idea let's, let's figure out how we can all be happy
0: find what's in common like yeah
1: transverse.
0: find what's in common and work from there build out, that that was because I, I went I went to the I I didn't go to it at Cornell but I've been through the ILR Cornell ILR interspace bargaining class and it's fantastic um but it's a sea, sea change from that traditional argumentative back and forth conflict-driven style that we're used to at the bargaining table right where we mm-hmm. we demand we want we're, we'll strike you though yeah. it doesn't work that way at all um it's it's brilliant if you can f- Put together the environment where it can be successful, but it's hard to foster that trust. But to your point, maybe we maybe we can still build there. Anyway, thank you so very much for the conversation. Thanks for being on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, did you have any final uh, anything final you want to say? And we always ask um, our guests to share uh, if if you're willing. Um, if if someone wanted to reach out to you or get a hold of you for some reason, how would they do that?
1: Uh, well, I'd love to hear from people. They can find me on LinkedIn uh Lynn Vincent, uh Lynn with an E. So L-I-N-N-E. Got it. I'll um,
0: I'll put I'll put your LinkedIn profile in the in the show notes when I put it up if that's okay with, with you.
1: Yeah. You're always welcome to email me. It's LC Vincent at SYR.edu.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much, Professor Vincent, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of the week. Okay. Thank you.
1: It's been a pleasure.
0: Take care.
2: Bye.